Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Critical Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Okay, so as you can see, things are a little different this week and I am now in my new studio space and this is just freshly being, I mean, you could see things all over <laughs> that are out of the camera angle right now. I've got some little furniture thingies set up and I'm, I'm still in the midst of totally making this thing. I'm gonna put stuff on the walls and stuff. I'm gonna try to make this a bit more interesting. So it'll be a kind of a different look and feel for the channel. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. Uh, there's something I needed to uh, address this week also, which is a controversy that came up some of you might have heard, I doubt most of you have, but there has been a controversy on YouTube about BetterHelp.com, which is the service that I had just started promoting on this channel because it seemed a perfect fit for what I do and for the kind of people who sometimes come around and look at or watch some of my videos. I am putting that sponsorship on hold right now until some more data comes to light and things get sort of ironed out or clarified in some fashion because um, the reason I'm doing that is because the controversy centers around not so much um, quality of service issues with the services I understand it, although that there are obviously people who have complaints. There is no such thing as a service industry that doesn't or won't have that, especially when it comes to counseling services. I just want to stress that from the get-go. That's not what's, the, what's, what's causing me concern. The reason why I'm putting the thing on hold is because it's come up through uh, the language of the terms and service of, um, of the BetterHelp service uh, website that not all of the um, counselors or uh, therapists who, they, who that service connects you up with, they might not actually all be licensed therapists. And that is unacceptable to me because licensing is what gives oversight to uh, therapists. That's the, the thing that makes it different from uh, or one of the key things in terms of regulatory actions that makes it different from, say, you know, life coaches or even Scientology. So that's why I go in that direction. I want people who have, have responsibilities, have obligations to follow rules of conduct and who are answerable to a board of their peers. And that's what licensing is all about. So um, because that's come into question, I'm not willing to uh, endorse or, or push that service off uh, on you guys until that gets clarified or sorted out and um, and there are questions about that with that BetterHelp service. So anyway, that's on hold and I now don't have a sponsor again and the reason um, I'll, be, I'll be looking for more sponsors but one of the reasons why you haven't seen sponsorships on this program or on my channel is because I'm very picky about who I uh, want to endorse to you guys and I'm not gonna ever uh, ever endorse something or push something off on you or recommend something to you guys if I don't 1000% believe in it myself. So, uh, all right. So then, uh, last thing I wanted to go over real fast is that the um, support from Patreon has been actually awesome. And you guys are amazing. And that is what has allowed this to happen. And, um, and the game is still on to get up to uh, 1500 is the next tier on my Patreon page. So uh, let's go ahead and get on with your questions now so we actually get to some meat here for this week. Brave bloggers, how did Scientologists react to the obvious and serious anti-Scientology 
unethical behavior that David Miscavige's sister was involved in via drugs slash alcohol when it was reported on back in 2013. I'd imagine it made the local paper due to the connection to the elephant in the area. I'd suppose under the radars, regular public, and maybe some brave personnel circulated it via social media and the like, and the stories on the bunker. Not to mention it sounds like a full-out PR flap in the eyes of David Miscavige. I wonder if slash how he explained this to his whales slash celebrity followers considering how close to the center his sister was or is. Thank you and keep up the amazing information. What you are doing is important. Well, thank you very much. Um, actually, I think you might be assuming a little much in terms of how much information got to Scientologists about that particular story. I never heard one peep about that story within the world of Scientology. That story actually came out, that all happened back in 2013 when I was just out of the Sea Org and was starting to read <laughs> online what was going on. If I recall correctly, at least, at least that's when I found out about it. Let me put it that way. Maybe it, it might have happened earlier, but that's when I first heard about it. And I was like, David Miscavige has a twin sister? I, I didn't even know that much. I had no idea he had a sister. She was never discussed or talked about within the Sea Org, ever. So to see David Miscavige's face with woman's hair and stuff in a, in a uh, mug shot on TV was, or not on TV, but in the... Uh, I think Pinellas paper or, or St. Pete Times or something. I mean, that was like, what? And then, of course, seeing it on the underground bunker. So, uh, so I was still a Scientologist when, that, when I found out about that and when that happened. And, um, and I don't, I mean, there was nothing ever spoken about it within the world of Scientology at all. In fact, I think I brought it up to my then... Uh, girlfriend or, or fiance, uh, you know, back in when I was, this was in when I was in Minnesota, I think I brought it up to her, like, did you know David Miscavige had a twin sister? So I was the one talking about it as a Scientologist, <laughs> but nobody else was. And I brought it up in hushed tones. I brought it up like, did you, do you know, have you seen, do you know, like, how do you, how do you even bring something like this up with other Scientologists? I didn't dare. Uh, I never, I certainly didn't post about it on social media and no other Scientologist that I, and I was friends with a few of them at that point on social media, none of them were discussing this or posting it. And for those of you who don't know, she is uh, a landlord, she and her husband down in, in Florida at the time were landlords and they were accepting drugs in exchange, in, pay, in payment for, um, for their apartment uh, rentings. Uh, so, so this became, you know, so she got arrested, she got busted for this and ended up in jail and that's how it got on the, in the newspaper. Um, so anyway, they, you know, it was reported on and then you kind of didn't really hear a whole lot more about it. I'm sure OSA swooped in and, and shut down any other media connected with it or certainly tried to and, and tried to, uh, you know, just quiet that thing down and pay whoever had to be paid to just shut up about it. And I'm pretty sure that's how that's how it was dealt with because I never, never, we never heard about it again after that. Lynn, I wanted to know if you're watching the Kavanaugh hearings. I feel this calls for real critical thinking and wonder if you're going to discuss this. 
It's just that I hear this accused judge filibustering, deflecting, character assassinating, anyone questioning his innocence, etc. And then I hear the media commentators saying they hear him sounding forthcoming and sincere and feel like we're watching different proceedings. I did find the doctor credible and not at all controversial. Would you weigh in on this and can you or anyone cut through the smoke? I think I'm seeing bad acting and lying. All right, Lynn, um, you know, I'm going to commit suicide either way if I comment on this thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I kind of didn't really comment too much about it while this was happening. And today, as I'm recording this, um, Kavanaugh was confirmed for the Supreme Court. So he is now a sitting Supreme Court judge or will be very, very shortly if he's not considered so now. Um, the hearings themselves were uh, a dog and pony show from beginning to end. I'm pretty sure that the, that the fix was in, so to speak, and that the Republicans, the GOP, have the majority of the Senate. So it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that he was going to sail through the confirmation process no matter what happened. And that pretty much is, is what, what, what played out. The Democrats uh, tried to you know, impede it, tried to get in the way of it, tried to get it to stop through, through a lot of you know, public uh, outcry and uh, that sort of thing because of the testimony of Dr. Ford and her uh, claims of having been sexually assaulted by Kavanaugh back in college days. Well, um, that really came down to a, a real problem in terms of you know, trying to look at both ends of what's going on and seeing how this is playing out. Um, th there was no way to tell what the truth or falseness of was of that story. I mean, a polygraph is useless, and anybody who watches this channel should know that. Um, there is absolutely nothing valid about a, uh, a lie detector. So the fact that Dr. Ford took one doesn't mean anything. Um, the fact that Kavanaugh would or wouldn't, or that he's ruled in the past himself that lie detectors are permissible or good tools for an investigation or something, I don't care. All that tells me is Kavanaugh doesn't know they don't work either, uh, which is pretty much just a black mark on his record against him for even endorsing them or talking about them in a legitimate way, uh, because they're not legitimate. So, um, so that's you know that's neither here nor there. Whether he was going to or not going to take a lie detector, I, you might as well have read his tea leaves or his star charts. So that kind of just went by the wayside, and uh, you know I found her to be a credible. Uh, witness to credible testimony. It's not that she gave you know any reasons during the course of her testimony to not believe her, um, but you know the principle in this country in terms of the law. And I know this is a job interview, and that was another thing that was coming up was this isn't innocent until proven guilty because this is a job interview. Well, yeah, you're right. Job interviews don't usually involve accusations of criminal behavior. Uh, that tends to end the job interview right there in any place except the Senate, uh, which I find kind of itself uh, fascinating and, it, and itself should be. If there was any real problem I had with this whole, like I said, dog and pony circus show with this whole thing, it was that. Uh, a credible allegation needs to be investigated and an investigation needs to take as long as it's going to take. Give, assigning an arbitrary uh, seven days, five days, three weeks, three years. It doesn't really matter. An investigation takes as long as an investigation takes. And until the investigation is over, 
and all resources have been exhausted, all witnesses examined, all laws applicable and inapplicable sorted out and all of that. Until all of that is uh, laid out bare through an objective third-party investigation, you don't have any basis to believe or not believe either side. It's just testimony that's been presented. Hers, his. Well, it's a he said, she said. And no one, not any one of you out there, uh, and certainly not me, knows for sure whether she is telling the truth or is lying or whether he's telling the truth or is lying. He, in his tirades, uh, in his obfuscations during the other phases of his questioning, um, through his refusal to answer questions at all, uh, his plain ignorant. Um, I was completely unimpressed with his performance before the allegations and then certainly afterwards. Um, clearly his whole crying, you know, pleas and screaming and, and all of that was coached. That was something he was told to do, probably by the president, but who knows. Um, because it was very markedly different from the rest of his very calm uh, or pretty chill from what I saw. And I didn't watch all of it by any stretch, but from what I did see, um, you know, that was that was a marked departure, which is why I say some, somebody told him to do that. That was worked out. You know, that was a strategic move that he made. Whether you thought it was a good move or a bad move, it was a strategic move. Somebody, somebody figured that out. And, uh, and then they, you know, called for this, you know, nonsense investigation that only took a few days. Uh, didn't, you know, apparently the investigators didn't interview her, didn't interview him because the testimony they gave was all that they needed to know or something. And uh, blah, 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 blah. We can, you know, play, uh, you know, pin the needle on the investigation all day long. But it was not a thorough investigation of every witness and every resource chased down, like I mentioned earlier. So, I, and I, that's not a partisan political statement. I hope nobody's taking anything I'm saying as particularly partisan or political, because I don't mean it that way. I, I actually watched the whole thing from a fairly objective point of view. There's, there's a lot of passion on this topic, and correctly so. There's a lot of women out there who have been sexually assaulted and never saw a day of justice or the opportunity to uh, have their per the perpetrator of that crime see jail time or any, any degree of retribution or, or, like I said, justice. So there's a lot of people out there who feel very, very emotional about this, and I get that. Um, whether that means she was assaulted and whether he did it or not is a completely separate question from the inflamed passions of a lot of women out there. And, and it's hard sometimes to divide those two things and make, you know, and, and be um, fully objective about it. Uh, now, that all being said, my bias is against Kavanaugh because I don't agree with his political positions or persuasions. I don't agree with his opinions about abortion or birth control. Uh, I think his statements made about that were rather uh, dumb, <laughs> uh, to say the least. So, um, but that's already known. I'm already a known quantity on that. I lean left when it comes to women's rights and, uh, and, and that sort of, and, and the abortion issue. So, of course, I wasn't going to want Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court because now there's a very real possibility that case law could come forward that could question or challenge Roe v. Wade. And the mostly conservative court could end up overturning that. And that would be a really, really bad, bad mistake if they were to do that. But that's potentially 
in our future. We'll see. There's a lot of things that have to happen between here and there. So I'm not trying to, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be alarmist or trying to freak anybody out. I'm just saying that possibility now exists, whereas before we were pretty sure it didn't exist. So uh, anyway, as far as the whole thing goes, um, I think we were all treated to a, um, a, a show that was meant to inflame uh, passions and anger uh, so that come next month in November when we have these midterm, these, these elections, these midterm elections, um, the uh, people who were really pissed about this stay pissed long enough to go to the polls and, and show that, uh, have that reflected in their votes, you know. Uh, unfortunately, as I didn't, I didn't go look, but I don't think most of the people who actually voted this through are up for re-election uh, this year. I don't, I'm not knowing about Collins in Maine, but um, I know Flake is leaving. He's retiring. And um, uh, Grassley, the guy who chaired the whole thing, well, he's not up for re-election until 2022. And, um, you know, I don't know that too many people are going to remember this for that many years. We'll see. So I don't think, and you know, some of these guys, I don't think we're feeling very insecure about their job. And uh, of course, right after an event like this, people are, you know, very, and I think that that was, if any, if there was any strategy on the part of the Democrats, it was to create that. And I think they did do that. So we'll see what results uh, come November. You know, I'm, I'm not making any predictions about it. So that's, uh, that's what I can say about all that. Sigh, sigh. Did Scientology have the regular over-the-top events in such large venues before Miscavige took control? No, they did not. In fact, uh, Hubbard actually wrote policy that these kinds of you know, regular events that would be happening all the time, uh, seven, eight times a year, I think it is now, um, in these, and then getting everybody together, he said that was a dumb idea. He was not down with that. I don't think he even knew um, well, they'd only, they only really started doing these, these bigger events after Hubbard died. But I, I've, I was told, and I re recall that it's reflected in the policies, that, that that not be done because it's so disruptive to the organizations and to the, the regular flow of, hey, let's get people in here, let's get them serviced, and let's you know, push them on up the line and get them up the bridge to total freedom, right? But that's not the priority in Scientology anymore. So, of course, Miscavige... Uh, holds these Nuremberg rallies, as, as Mike Rinder likes to call them. Um, and that is what they're like, by the way. Uh, so that he can feel the adoration of all of these people in this room who are all but revering and worshiping him. And, and uh, you know, thunderous applause on every pronouncement. And you get two or three hours of this, you know. And he rehearses for, you know, days on these speeches and I've seen him do it, you know, and he just loves these events and, and that's and they serve a number of functions because they keep Scientologists uh, indoctrinated. I'll, I was going to say informed, but really, no, it's actually indoctrinated in um, the latest lies and nonsense that he's piling on to them in these events about how the statistics are going up, 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 and they don't ever show you how much they're going up. They don't put numbers on the graphs anymore. They just show these these number, these graphs, these lines, all going expansion, you know, and uh, and they get to you know pull off some uh, PR videos that show how wonderful Scientology is doing in Colombia or Venezuela or 
uh, India or someplace not around where you are, <laughs> right? Uh, that's that's the whole point of these uh, these videos is they they go shoot stuff in some distant land, and Scientologists here in the states are like, or some Hickville place that nobody ever goes to, right? And uh, where they're doing disaster relief or something like that, and all the Scientologists are like. Oh my God, it's so amazing. You know, all the good work that we're doing and, and look at how we're all over the world. We're so international. It's so amazing. And here, take my money, please. This because clearly you guys are doing so much good. That's the, that's the desired product of these events. And almost every one of them uh, used to be. I'm, I'm told they're toning this down now. I, I, that's what I'm reading on the bunker. But uh, it used to be that every one of these events was supposed to at least pay for itself. And they were supposed to, um, you know, through the donations of the public after the events. And uh, I'll tell you, at the in Los Angeles, um, one event at the Shrine Auditorium, uh, between setup costs and renting the hall and everything, I mean, it came out to about seventy to a hundred thousand dollars just for one event. And all the or local organizations had to pony up for that. That wasn't paid for by international management. That was paid for by the local. Uh, orgs. And uh, then Miscavige and all them would come down, do the event, and then they would have some kind of new release, some new book or repackaged tapes or lectures or whatever, and they were supposed to sell enough to make back the money that they had spent, at least that. And they had, so we had sales quotas and all this stuff, and, and that's how almost every one of these events would go. So it would be this high pressure, high intensity sales drills after the event to get people to buy things. And we were literally just boldly going up to people and saying, cash or credit, you know, handing them a bag of, of, of merch, you know, here, here's the latest release, cash or credit, you know, and, uh, and that's, that was kind of how those events came out. But Hubbard never directed for any of that to get done. That was all Miscavige's brainchild. Isa. Why does the Church of Scientology not move into the political sphere? Mitt Romney, who was open about being a Mormon, almost became the President of the United States and was governor before that. A celebrity like Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor of California. So why would Scientology not get one of their members to run for governor or senator? They have the money to fund a campaign and celebrities to endorse their candidate. It could maybe give them more respectability in the outside world and an internal PR boost. Okay, that is an interesting question. Um, so first off, there has been a Scientology senator that was Sonny, Sonny Bono, uh, or sorry, Representative, House of Representatives is where he was, uh, from California. And this was back in the 70s, I believe. Uh, he's, he died, I think, in the 80s. And, uh, and he, was a, he was a congressman. Um, then there have been local representatives, um, you know, city board, city council, stuff like that. Joy Villa was actually making an effort to get into uh, politics. And let me just, let me tell you a little story here that I observed that might give you the idea of why I think that Scientology trying to get somebody into politics is just a pipe dream of the, of the tallest order. So Joy Villa was actually going for it. She had, um, she had started making inroads into the uh, GOP. She had connected as far as um, into, actually into the White House with her you know, flamboyant dresses and, and pro-Trump uh, anti-abortion stance and, uh, 
and various other things that she had done. She met, uh, I think, Milo Yiannopoulos and uh, 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 what was it, Seb Gorka and uh, other you know insiders in the White House, and she had gotten herself a political consultant. This was all reported on, by the way, on uh, Tony Bun Tony Ortega's Underground Bunker, so you can look it up there too. Uh, anyway, she was making some inroads into this, and one day uh, she even got an endorsement from Trump himself from his own Twitter feed. He said something about Joy Villas, somebody to watch, or something like that. Somebody got him to do that. And his own supporters, his own base of people, almost all of them, in reply, because I went through on his tweet and I read every reply to it, and there were lots and lots and lots of them. I read tons of replies because I was very curious about this. And this was within the first hour or two that he had tweeted this. And of course, I went on there and I was like, you know, Scientologist, are you nuts? You know? And uh, um, everyone, I mean, I, maybe, maybe 2% of the replies to that tweet were. Oh, Joy Villa, go Joy. Every other one was telling Donald Trump. His own base was telling him. Dude, she's a Scientologist. Do you know that? Like, no way. Like, she supports, you know, human rights violations, stalking, harassment. I mean, the Church of Scientology is the worst thing on the planet. How could you possibly be? Do you, do you know she's a Scientologist? We should not be endorsing her. Donald, I can't go with you on this one. Um, you know, my God, man, I, you know, I support you in every way, but not this time. You really need to reconsider. She's a Scientologist. So these points were being made over and over and over again by people who usually reply to Trump's tweets with nothing but adoration and near worship. So, uh, so that was the response even from there. Scientology is so toxic and deservedly so that anyone who identifies themselves as a Scientologist in a public forum where, they, where people are going to vote on them, that would be a very unwise move to out themselves as a Scientologist. Because Leah Remini's show, the volume of books that have been produced by us critics and former members, the Going Clear documentary, and everything else that has happened over the last 10-15 years, has, spell, has been spelling doom for Scientology because they have been doing very, very bad things, and they've been doing them for a number of years. They've earned their reputation. Um, so when somebody puts themselves out as a public face of Scientology, they're going to receive a ton of this stuff back. The only exception to this is with celebrities like Tom Cruise, and I explained a couple weeks ago why. They control the messaging. They can, the celebrities are a whole different thing from politicians. Celebrities control who, what questions they're going to be asked and how and when. And they, they themselves are the product. So they show up on a show and that show gets ratings. If they don't show up, the show doesn't get that same ratings. So Tom Cruise has the power to demand what kind of questions he's going to be asked. And he doesn't have to answer anything about Scientology. It's a whole different thing in the political realm. If a politician puts himself out there, they are under the microscope in every conceivable way. They're, it's open season on them in every way by every media outlet. And the question of Scientology will absolutely come up 
because it speaks to their values, their opinions on homosexuality or the LGBTQ community, on psychiatry and mental health issues, on um, the religious angle, on human rights. I mean, there's just a number of things that Scientology has, uh, you know, any Scientologist would have to answer for. And including all the stories of that we're all very, very aware of about disconnection, ripping apart families. And they can't lie their way out of that because Scientology really does do those things. So they're not going to succeed as a politician on any kind of platform, on any either side of the aisle, because they're part of a group that is doing really horrible things to people. So, you know, so that and that doesn't even bring up the other aspect of this, which is that the Church of Scientology is a 501c3 organization. It's nonprofit. Therefore, it cannot endorse any single candidate or give money to uh, political causes, uh, political candidates, or tell its membership that, it, that it's uh, supporting this candidate or that candidate. They're not supposed to be doing that. Yes, they have done that, but they're not supposed to. And if, and if they start putting politicians forward, who appear to be getting money directly from the church or through church sources, then um, that's going to tie right back to the church and it's going to endanger the church's tax-exempt status. Uh, you know, maybe in that regard we would want that, but uh, the Church of Scientology definitely does not want that kind of attention on itself. So I don't think it's going to be super interested in trying to get a Scientologist into office. I don't really think that's Miscavige's game. It could change. He might be working on something like that right now, for all I know. But I don't, I don't think so because of everything I've just laid out for you. So I hope, hope all that is clear and, and, and makes sense. Ricardo Francis Zayas. The legendary jazz musician Chick Corea has been a longtime Scientologist. Since he tours all over the world, how does he avoid hearing criticism of the church's abuses and Hubbard's fake biography? Does he have handlers like other celebs? He's a perfect example of very intelligent, genius-type people who remain loyal to the church. I wonder why he has stayed in so long. Well, you're absolutely right. Chick Corea is a very smart guy and a very talented guy. I don't happen to like jazz, but I can appreciate the talent. And he definitely has heaps of it. I've done talks, uh, a couple of them now, about why intelligent people can be susceptible to or can fall for cults or any, pretty much anything. The, the truth of the matter is any of us can fall for almost anything if it's presented in the right way and in such a way that it aligns with our biases or our prejudices. So, um, so it's not really a question of his intelligence as to why it is that he's a Scientologist. He's a Scientologist because it helped him and he you know, feels that it's true and real and within his world, He's not challenged on those things. If you know, he's a famous Scientologist, he's a well-known Scientologist. If you come into a celebrity like Chick Corea's circle and you start badmouthing Scientology to him, he's gonna kick you out of his circle. I mean, he's just not he's just not gonna have you around. You're just not gonna be doing whatever whatever you thought you were gonna be doing in his vicinity, you're not gonna be doing that. Uh, because he's, you know, gotten to a place now where he gets to choose his people. He gets to decide who he works with and who he doesn't want to work with. And that's pretty much the way it is with any high-profile celebrity. As you move up the ladder, you got to make all kinds of compromises. But once you're at the top, it's your world, man. 
and that's and and your world is controlled uh, it is not the free kind of world that the rest of us experience in many, many ways. Uh, celebrities have all kinds of obligations and responsibilities and things they have to do. But allowing somebody into their inner circle who's going to insult them or give them a hard time about their, you know, what they feel is their religion, that's not one of the things they have to put up with anymore. <laughs> so uh, so that's just, that just wouldn't happen, you see. And that's why Chick can... Uh, stay within his little bubble world of Scientology and not pay attention to Going Clear or Leah's show and not really be too concerned about it. He doesn't, he doesn't have to swim in those circles or answer any of those questions. So that's pretty much uh, everything I can say about uh, old chick. Whoa, okay, it's time for Flash Answers. Petra Irene. Actually, does it happen that cult members learn their ropes in one cult and then decide to leave to develop their own cult with themselves as the guru? I don't know of any instances of that specifically, although I do know that there are cult leaders like Jim Jones who went and studied purposefully, not as a cult member, I think, but went and looked at what other cult leaders or church leaders were doing before he himself started his People's Temple. Um, I, I know Jim Jones did that. There might be other cult leaders who have gotten some indoctrination or schooling before they uh, set about their big life task. But, um, but I'm not aware of any specifically who were in a cult and then went off and started their own. Kath T. Who leaked that video of Tom Cruise, the famous one in the black turtleneck? <laughs> oh man, this is actually quite a story, and I got I put a link in this week's uh, in the description section here below to a write-up from somebody who claims to be the one who actually got hold of the raw DVD of Tom Cruise's uh, from the event, and then got it to Mark Bunker, and Mark Bunker is the one who actually posted it on the internet. Uh, he then took it down and then, you know, there was some back and forth and then anonymous and da 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 It's all very, very long story and uh, check out the link below on that. But the answer to your question is Mark Bunker. Michaela Rydmore. Did you ever fall asleep while listening to Hubbard? If yes, when? Oh yeah, I fell asleep listening to Hubbard all the time. A lot of people do. Uh, and that's why in the course rooms you have this course supervisor, which is a role I used to hold, who will come around and wake you up and make you go back and find what word you didn't understand in what Hubbard was saying because that's what's supposed to have put you to sleep was a misunderstood word, see? So then you have to get a dictionary and find the word and clear it up and by then you're kind of bright and awake again and you get back to the lecture and somehow you muddle your way through. So, that's, uh, so that happened to me all the time. Okay guys, so that's the end of our first show here in my new studio space. Um, I hope the sound and everything's okay. We're going to see how this comes out. I've still got a lot of work to do in this room, including sound baffling and setups and props and different things. I've got plans for the room. I'm kind of excited about this. I'm excited about uh, putting this all together and hopefully presenting you guys through this space and through the rest of the work that I'm doing. Uh, improved content, improved quality of content. Okay, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.